up, folks? All right, turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew 24. Matthew 24. I just want to share uh, just a few thoughts, and uh, I'll try to keep it short. And then um, I'm going to have uh, Dave Slyker and Matt and Dana Candler and Isaac and Morgan Bennett come up, and we're going to have a little little talk. Uh, just talk about, uh, you know, just the things that the Lord is stirring uh, in our hearts, uh, especially in light of the season in which we are and, and even the approaching of this, uh, of this 40-day fast and just, uh, just what the Lord is stirring. I mean, it's so clear that the Lord is stirring hearts. He's stirring the nations. I mean, he's stirring everything. And, uh, and it's only the beginning of the beginning. There's so much more. Uh, that's to come both in terms of crisis and glory and the Lord's desire to uh, to set this church on fire, uh, to raise up a prophetic witness uh, as, the, um, as the nations are raging against the word of God and and um, and the God's glory being released in a unified church, uh, in particular as it pertains to uh, the new man reality and what the Lord is doing with the church in the Middle East and so forth. So we're just in some real uh, exciting times and, uh, and the Lord's grace is, is visiting us and beckoning us to, uh, to turn our hearts to him in a more, in a more focused way. And also, um, you know, as they were talking about the, uh, about the fast earlier, saw, just a quick little advertisement. You don't have to if you don't want to, but I'm just encouraging people to uh, to take, you know, Romans 3 to 8 uh, and just, you know, take those 40 days if you want and just uh, ask the Lord to give you insight into his grace because that is probably one of the biggest subjects that's really under attack and, and confusion in the body of Christ. But this is the thing that we need. We need grace to be empowered to, uh, to be wholehearted and Romans 3 to 8 gives us that invitation. Or uh, John 14 to 17, you know, that's going to be a course that's going to be taught after the fast and uh, why not uh, jump in ahead of time? But speaking of John 14 and 17, we're going to take just a brief moment to look at John 14, but we're going to start in Matthew 24 first. So let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your presence. Lord, thank you for your nearness. Uh, Lord, we say that your nearness is our good. And Father, we ask you, Lord, that you would continue to cause the light of your spirit uh, to shine on our hearts and our minds, you'd, and that you would open up our eyes to your scriptures, Lord, to see glorious and marvelous things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Matthew 24, a familiar passage. It's where Jesus is, um, is having a private session talking to his disciples about the end of the age. And I want to draw your attention particularly to in, um, uh, verse 6. Now, actually, before I do that, you know, the, the thing that he warns his disciples against is on the issue of deception. And deception is such a broad, broad term. There's many, many layers to it. But one of the ways that we can also interpret that, I mean, that he's warning uh, the church to not get confused, uh, to, not get, to not get confused about the issues, that we don't lose our clarity as to who it is that God is, who it is that his son is, and what the gospel is all about. And so he warns us, he says, look, there's things that are going to happen in the earth that's going to try to kick dust in our eyes to, uh, to bring about confusion or deception. But in verse 6, he uh, says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
and see that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Verse seven, four nation will rise against nation. There'll be ethnic strife. Kingdom against kingdom, there will be these the sovereign nations against sovereign nations will be at war against each other. He says, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Now, the, the thing that's interesting here is that Jesus tells them, we'll look at that more in just a few moments, he talks to them about the issue of not being troubled in the midst of all of this. He says, don't be troubled. And I think one of the reasons why he's highlighting the issue of not being troubled or not being anxious is because an, an anxious heart actually becomes a seedbed to the very confusion that Jesus is warning us about in Matthew 24. That when our heart is weighed down with anxiety, we then become vulnerable to all kinds of uh, different dynamics. And we'll look at that in just a few moments. But in verse 7, he gives, a, he gives a list of reasons why. He says, look, there's going to be these dynamics that are going to take place um, in the world that, 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 will, um, that will tempt us to, to give in to anxiety, to, to give in to a heart that is weighed down. And he gives a, a list of dynamics. We talked about them over the last several years, about the, the ethnic strife or, or racial conflict, um, the issues of, of wars in between nations. But I want to draw attention to the one that we don't talk much about. We've got quite a bit of an education on that here in the last, to, last year. It's called pestilences. <laughs> and what is interesting is that Jesus tells us, hey, see to that no one deceives you. Now, we got a little bit of clarity about how you can get deceived about the issue of ethnic strife. We understand a little bit about how we can get, you know, confused and deceived when it comes to wars. But pestilences? And here we are a year later, and the confusion that is in the air uh, is, quite, is quite interesting. Now, there have always been pestilences and, 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 and diseases throughout history. In fact, uh, since 1981 until uh, 2019, there have been 80 epidemics in the world, 80. From 1980 to 2009, there have been 80 epidemics. Um, in the 20th century... Uh, there were three pandemics. You had the Spanish flu in 1918. Uh, you had the Asian flu in 1968. And then there was, sorry, that was the Hong Kong flu in 1968. And then there was the Asian flu in uh, 1957. And then, of course, here, we've, uh, here we have COVID. And, um, and when, you, when you read about these pandemics and these epidemics, yeah, they, they cost, you know, of course, they, co they cost trauma and different dynamics, but Man, what's been happening with COVID-19 and just what that is shifting um, uh, in, in the world and the way that we think and the way that we talk and the way that we travel, I mean, in all of these different dynamics, there is a real shift that is happening in the world. And, and Jesus said this pestilences, and I'm like, oh, I don't like the fact that it's plural. And, uh, and then verse 6, he said, yeah, but don't worry. I'm like, well, that's easy for you to say. And... Uh, <laughs> But yet he tells us, uh, uh, don't get weighed down with anxiety. Now let's turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Because here Jesus in Matthew 24, he's talking to his disciples about the issue, about the dynamics at the end of the age. And he tells them to not have a troubled heart. And then here in John chapter 14, it's, it's, the, same, it's, it's the same week. 
It's, it's within a matter of days, because later on in Matthew 26, Jesus is with his disciples um, at the Lord's Supper, and it's here at the Lord's Supper that, he is in, that he's instructing them uh, what he's teaching them here in John, in John chapter 14. And he tells them, hey, and I'm kind of, you know, kind of, add him a little commentary, and he goes, hey, remember how I told you to not be worried back in Matthew 24? They go, yeah. He goes, now let me tell you the things that you can actually engage your heart with in order to not be troubled. John chapter 14, Jesus gives us line upon line insight into the heart of God where we can anchor our hearts and our minds into so that we can actually walk with stability and clarity of heart in the Lord. And John 14 to 17 is one of the, is a, in my opinion, one of the most glorious passages that gives us insight into the family dynamic of the Godhead. John 14 to 17 just gives us insight into the glorious interaction between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the surprise of all surprises is their desire to invite us into that fellowship to invite us into that relationship dynamic, that we would interact with God in the exact same way that God interacts with God, and then we would interact with one another in the, in the exact same way that God interacts with God. It's actually quite, uh, quite amazing. And what happens here is that um, it calls us to encountering God in a way that transforms us. Encountering God in a way that transforms us and empowers our hearts to, to, uh, to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength in John 14. Then in John 15, he, uh, he, he tells us that we must actively cultivate this relationship with the Lord. John 14 gives us the promise of this glorious access that we have to the heart of God. He says, don't be troubled Get to know God, in other words. He says, don't be troubled. Don't get weighed down by the crisis that is taking place, but actually draw your heart to the Lord. Then in chapter 15, he says, we must actively uh, cultivate this abiding relationship with Christ. And in John 16, he shows us two things. He shows us the activity of the Holy Spirit that he wants to release in and through the church in the midst of a hostile environment. And in John 17, it's this amazing prophetic prayer where Jesus prays about the fullness of God's glory visiting the church. Now, in uh, 1988, uh, the Lord uh, spoke uh, audibly um, in the context of this movement about what the Lord wants to do with the church. And that is this, that he's going to release the grace for the church to walk in Song of Solomon 8, 6, and 7 across, uh, across the world. It's that the Lord is going to release his grace. He's going to release this, the, the, his, his fire of divine love, or the way we like to say it, or the way the scripture calls it, the first commandment. The grace for the first commandment is going to be released upon the church. And I love what it says in Psalm, Psalm 8, 6, and 7, that, that when that fire is released, there is no amount of water that can extinguish that fire. Water always puts out fire, unless it is a supernatural fire. And the enemy sends fires of temptation and apathy and disappointment and pain. These things that seek to snuff out the fire. But the Lord says, no, I'm going to release a grace that those very things cannot snuff that out. The grace of God for the church, the Laodicean church, to give herself fully to 
loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In John 14, verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And here Jesus calls us in, to enter into God's rest. He, he calls us to enter into a relationship with the Lord that causes us to come into a place of rest. And by the rest, I don't just simply mean where we have peace. Yes, we have peace for sure. But it's also where we are in full agreement with God and he's in agreement with us and all kinds of very powerful dynamics um, will take place. Now, in the context of John 14, uh, verse 1, the, the troubled heart that Jesus is, ta- is referring to really is, is, a, is a threefold reason for why the apostles were troubled. Number one, it was personal to them because their leader um, just told him that he was going to die. He, he was going to die a death on the cross. And that was very, very troubling to them. And he kept insisting that this was going to happen. So that's very troubling. Number one. Number two, there'll be a, a spiritual crisis because with the death of Jesus in their mind, now there is a delay to all the prophetic promises. This, I mean, you got to understand, these men have given everything they had to follow him, to watch him to die on the cross. And because of their unrenewed mind, they had no way of grasping what it was that Jesus was trying to communicate to them. And thirdly, it would be a political, a social, it would be socially troubling uh, uh, to them because the death of Jesus in their mind meant that their political hope got completely dashed. In other words, they did not see the desired political outcome. And Jesus says, do not be troubled. John 14 has significance in responding to the end time troubles uh, to unfold that he just, just told them about in Matthew 24. And so when he tells them, I think that John 14 has, has some real insight for us into, in terms of how to respond to what Jesus laid out in Matthew 24, that we would not be troubled. Now, we, rem- now we all know Psalm 27.4, the one thing I desire of the Lord, that one, thing I, that one thing I will seek. But what's interesting about that passage is that in context, it, it's, uh, it, it talks about crisis. The first three verses, the Lord is my life, my salvation. Whom shall, I fe- whom, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When men surround me seeking to devour my flesh, in this one thing I'll be confident. It's like, wait a minute, wh- what? And he says, one thing I desire of the Lord. He says, because I've set my heart on this top priority to experience deep union with God that the trouble that's surrounding me is actually not robbing me of my confidence. And so the intimacy that the Lord is is calling us into and that he's inviting us into is going to be the very stability of the times or the things that lie ahead. This one thing, what it does, it neutralizes the things that actually weigh down our heart. It neutralizes anxiety. It neutralizes our fears. It, it, it neutralizes our, 
uh, our uncertainty about the things that are going on around us and the things with regards to the future, when we connect with that priority, there is a neutralizing power of the grace of God that shifts our internal, uh, our internal atmosphere and it reorients our focus. It's no accident that Jesus, when talking about Mary in Luke chapter 10 about the one thing, he connects it with, you are worried and bothered by many things. Worried and bothered by many things. You know, and uh, anyway, I'm just, let's, let's keep this peaceful atmosphere. <laughs> no, I'm just kind of editing my thoughts right here. Um, but anyway, but you know, I love what Isaac said. You know, he goes, let's just take 40 days and just take a break <laughs> from, you know, just all the stuff that's out there because it's so easy to get consumed with worry and, and, and get bothered by all that has happened. And the Lord goes, no, I want you to do the one thing and see what happens in your heart. There are many emotional ailments in our society and in the church that exist because of a troubled heart. Proverbs, 20, uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 says this. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. And uh, when I think about this, uh, these 40 days, I think about an, an intensified season, an opportunity to expose our heart to that good word. We need that good word. We need some glad hearts. Verse two, and Jesus continues, he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And what is happening here is Jesus, he, he calls his disciples, what he's doing in John 14, he's calling his disciples, and, and this is amazing, into the exact same union and relationship that Jesus has with his Father in his humanity. Jesus, fully man, fully God, but, but in his humanity, there is a fullness of union and intimacy and interaction that Jesus has with his Father. And he looks at his disciples and says, I want you to believe me when I say this to you. The same thing is available to you. And they're like, What? I mean, so much to be said about that in terms of the, the depth and the quality of relationship and love and delight and pleasure that we can have uh, with our Heavenly Father. But the second thing, and I want to end it with this, the second thing that is so critical about this point is that later on in verse, um, uh, chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus makes this, this outrageous statement in a holy way, I must add. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Now, the, the believing in him here, he's not simply talking about believing in him in terms of our salvation, though that's, I'm sure that's part of it. He's talking about believing what it is that he's saying to his church insofar as the depth of intimacy that we can have with the Father. He starts out a chapter by saying, he goes, you believe in God. He goes, believe also in me. 
You believe in, in, uh, uh, in our Heavenly Father, but I want you to believe in what I'm saying to you as a man. I'm about to tell you things about the relationship that I have with my Father in my humanity. Yes, I'm God, but I'm also a man, and in my humanity, I have a relationship with God, and I'm here to tell you that the relationship that you observed me have with my Father on the earth in my humanity, that is available to you. He says, I want you to believe me in this. But here's the, the thing that is intense. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, insofar as what we just talked about, he goes, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these, he will do because I go to my Father. There is a realm of power that God has in store for the end time church that is deeply linked with our faith and believing and responding to this invitation to know our Father in the way that Jesus lays out before us. The prophet Daniel said it this way. Daniel eleven thirty three said it this way. Those who know their God, they will do exploits. Those who know, those who are in the place of intimacy with the Father, who have said yes to respond to this glorious invitation the Father has put before his church to know him and to walk with him the way that his son walked with him on this earth. Uh, I'm sure some of you are sitting there going, wait, what? Well, I got one word for you. John 14, 1. You believe in God. Believe what Jesus has to say about what it is that is available to us as a far as intimacy with him. Father, thank you, Lord, for your desire, Lord, to draw us near to you through your son by your spirit. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would continue to instruct our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's take a quick break. Just, we're not just kind of stand up, kind of stretch, and then we're going to have the uh, uh, team here get ready for, for our panel discussion. So you guys can stand a little bit, just kind of stretch. Scratch your head. Drink a little water. Don't run away. I'm on the 
board of my old summer camp where I got saved. And I've been on, this is my third year. Is it Tulsa? Yeah, close to it. And I, every time we have a board meeting on Zoom, I'm like, I have no swag. I've, I've been here three years, I don't have my board shirt. Okay, well, let's, um, let's all find our seats, please. All right, go ahead, Dave. Good. Okay, our, our goal through these 12 weeks, as I said earlier, our goal is to have a family conversation, and I don't mean our conversation on the platform. What I mean is, and it just it struck me, it was something Isaac said, but it kind of hit me after he said it. When my wife and I first got here in, in uh, 2002, there were passages, there were Bible passages in the family conversation that were so familiar and normal to talk about. That was new for me. You know, I came from a church. It wasn't so normal to just talk about passages as if they were, you know, what everybody did. It's what you talked about. They just were so understood. They would say things like, no, it's, you know, that's a Psalm 27 thing with a Matthew 25 oil of intimacy. Then you get you know, with a Joel 2 reality. And there are these passages that were, that I found out later were passages that the Holy Spirit had highlighted, but then did something interesting, not just emphasizing those passages, but then normalized those passages into the family conversation. So when I say we're having an extended 12-week conversation, it's a family conversation that we're all to have. It works best when the passages and the themes and the ideas become normalized in our conversations in our homes, over coffee with our friends. The, the more we talk about these passages, the more familiar and alive to us they become the normalization of those passages, it just sows something powerful in us. And so we're facilitating tonight and different ones throughout the weeks, we're facilitating the beginnings of a family conversation. That's, I just want to set our course that way. If, if you just spectate and you don't take this into conversation with the Holy Spirit and into conversation with one another then there's not a lot of power to just us talking. But, but, uh, but I believe these are important conversations for our family. 
And just to kind of set the stage for the weeks to come and beyond, I believe they're important conversations beyond a 40-day fast. They're important conversations because I feel an urgency for us to lay hold of something by the Holy Spirit that we are not apart from his help. One of the conversations we've been having years ago when Bob Jones talked about the prayer movement and what the Lord had shared with him and what he saw in the end time church before the Lord returned, he called it a Corey Ten Boom uh, movement, that the Lord was going to do something like Corey Ten Boom. And to me, that means more than loving the Jewish people. Because we had, my wife and I had just listened in a fresh way to Corey Ten Boom's story, The Hiding Place. And the thing that is striking me as we enter into this fast, and Matt, get ready, I'm going to call on you in a moment. The thing that's striking me as we enter into this fast, listening to Corey Ten Boom's story, if you know the story, the hero of the story isn't Corey Ten Boom, it's Betsy Ten Boom, her sister. As they're in the prison camp together, it's the outrageous, almost otherworldly godliness of Betsy Ten Boom with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving in the midst of horrific conditions that spurs her sister on to godliness. And so when we started talking about this fast, I had a template in my mind of what it is I want to reach for by the grace of God. Whatever grace is available to me and to us as a family I, there's a template before me. It's like, wow, when I look at how she responded to pressure and hardship and vicious enemies that hated her, when I look at the godly tenderness of thanksgiving, I think to myself, I'm far from being able to respond like that. The only way I respond like that is I go on a journey with family to lay hold of whatever God wants to give us to bring us somewhere. And I feel that urgency. It's not an urgency you know, to be the anointed prophetic messenger or the urgency to, for the big platform and the revival stuff. It's an urgency to lay hold of a godliness I do not possess, but see the need for under historic pressure that only God can give and I want to position myself to receive. That's what I'm feeling as we... And again, this is the beginnings of the conversation that we're fasting, as Stuart said so well. We're not fasting just to abstain from something. We're fasting to lay hold of someone. And the urgency of laying hold of the Lord related to the times we are now in. We've been talking about the return of Jesus, the birth pangs, and the end times for decades. We are now at the beginnings of something that makes fasting a whole different issue in our lives. And that's a little bit of the conversation I want to have tonight. But, but, but I wanted to start a little lofty, but then go to Matt. That's not it. He knows. I'm, not, I'm actually not making, I'm not making light. Matt said something today that I think is really important as we were just preparing for this meeting. And, and just... We can do both. We can have that sense of where the Lord wants to take us that we can't go ourselves, but we can also have a sense of the difficulty in getting there in our own soul. And that's a little bit of what you talked about today. So just talk about that. Just You were just thinking about tonight and the fast and something hits you. Yeah, so I, I just gave, I just expressed to, to my friends here that 
the idea of embracing the very thing that Dave has been describing as drawing near to the Lord in this fast. When, when I first heard about it, I was like, uh, and I was like, I was, I was already, I, f- I felt like I just recovered from last year's fast, <laughs> I'm honest. And then, but I, I, the Lord highlighted to me in the last week how with actually what Stuart mentioned tonight related to the pestilences, plural, that there's this reality where I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the unknown related to even the future of COVID. I don't have an opinion. I don't have discernment related to any of that. But I did recognize the, I want that to go away reality in me. And then the Lord connected the idea in my mind, like I, there's just this sense to where the, the initial just challenge and difficulty to embrace that voluntary weakness. Like we, and we began the 40-day fast last year, and halfway through it, the Lord added to it in an involuntary fast called this global pandemic. And I, was, I realized that I had grown weary in doing the good thing of drawing near to God in that extended kind of way in the place of, in the place of extended fasting specifically. And just to draw it to a close, the part that got really highlighted to me tonight while Stuart was sharing, I mean, the Lord just dropped it in my mind. I mean, so, so clear. Joel 2.13, he said, I want you to rend your heart, not your garments. And... And what struck me about that was don't forget that fasting is, is it's a real tearing unto a real returning because I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, I'm abounding in steadfast love and kindness. And that's the motivation. But I, I realized that I, there's a weariness in my own flesh because of the tearing of heart. If, if we embrace a fast that's coming up, apart from a heart tearing and a returning to the Lord, it's nothing. And the Lord says, don't get lost in one sense on the outward garments part, on what you're going to change externally if the external changes of the fast don't tear your heart that cause you to return to me. It's just religious show. And it was just a real clear thing in my heart. So all that to say, I feel like the first part that we say every time in this is I just want to encourage, as we all have been doing, even as for the last month, knowing that this is forthcoming, just to have that kind of conversation. All fasting begins with that conversation with the Lord, not simply, what do you want me to do? That's the, that's the garment's outward part. It's, you're wanting me to return to you. There's going to be a tearing. It's not because you're mean that you want to tear my heart. It's because you're trying to free my heart to return to you in areas where it's not currently there. And so that's just... That's my own personal wrestle, and I just wanted to open that up to give permission that, um, that that's a real wrestle, though I believe that there's an urgency to it. And I'm just going to be real honest and say that, I mean, doing this with friends, these friends up here and others, doing a lifestyle of fasting, it, it both extended and, you know, intermittent throughout weeks and months over the course of years, 
it takes uh, it takes a it takes a family to do it with. It takes the conversation uh, and and also to realize that there's no pressure to do it in a particular way. That's getting lost in the outward garments reality. The whole point, the glory of what you don't want to go without moving into this season. Um, even apart from the 40-day fast, is returning to the Lord and knowing that it's going to take a heart tearing to get there. The Lord will help us out when we don't embrace the voluntary reality. He'll throw some of those involuntary things. And he still invites us to, as Stuart said, in quoting Jesus, to not be troubled by that, (laughs) which is troubling. (laughs) That's the point of fasting, though. Yeah, it feels like I mean, just looking back at our history of extended fasts, 40-day fasts in particular, I've said this before, 21-day fasts, when we do them together, tend to change my heart, but 40-day fasts have tended to shift my life. And often when we're jumping into a 40-day fast, you know, someone like Lou, which he's calling one this time as well, but uh, the Bill Bright and others have called these long fasts for the sake of revival breakthrough on our nation, which we want. But this is the first long fast that I can remember where we're feeling a sense of holy alarm related to the future and our need to be ready through fasting. This feels new. And so I just want anyone that wants to comment on that, that kind of shift in focus. Where, and I think Isaac said it well, if you want to comment more, that we're signing up now At the beginning of a small birth pang, leading to surely larger ones to come, we're signing up now for voluntary disruption to prepare our hearts and lives and responses for the involuntary responses that'll be much more severe in the future. Yeah, I think that's one of the, it's one of the big challenges, you know, we have as, as a spiritual family that's emphasizing a fasting and prayer lifestyle is that we double dip in the trouble and the pressure. (laughs) And what I mean by that is there's an involuntary pressure that we come under that's out of our control. And many believers found themselves in that involuntary pressure last year. And the crisis, it brings to the surface our carnality. It brings to the surface our weakness, our our anger, all of those things that we can so easily medicate and just kind of hide under the surface. The crisis exposes it and brings it to the surface. However, when we embrace the voluntary lifestyle of fasting and prayer, it comes to the surface even when there isn't pressure. And even in between those birth pangs and those times of trial that we face and we will continue to face as the body of Christ. And so, you know, that's, that's, I think that's part of the limp that we have. I think that's the, the part of the wrestle that Matt's highlighting that we have to embrace that. My life already feels disrupted because my freedoms and my way of living now, as opposed to a year ago, is very different. Why would I want to further disrupt my own life with a 40-day fast? Why would I want to further disrupt my life by removing comforts and pleasures that help me get by day to day and just feel like I'm staying afloat and not losing my mind? Why would I want to do that, you know? And that's where I think that the invitation of the Lord, the servant, the bridegroom, the one that is so deeply uh, enjoying his people is inviting his bride and saying, are you in this for me? Are you in this? 
a 40-day fast just for power and a little more zap and zip on your ministry or your life or your finances or your breakthrough or your new job opportunity? Are you in this for you or are you in this for me? And that's where I feel that the challenge and the wrestle is within my own soul. I was just thinking of, when you say, are you in this for me, that reminds me of Song of Solomon um, in chapter five. And I was just thinking of that passage before you said it because it's kind of like in the voluntary and the involuntary fasting. There's a chastening. It's a test. And it, whenever we're tested, things get exposed. And whenever things get exposed, we're surprised. <laughs> and it's not fun. And so it, in the midst of that rigor, it's so difficult to want to lean in. But the reason that we want to is, is not, it's two things. It's because we want to see his beauty. We want to touch him more. But it's also because we've already tasted. We've already seen. And that the cry of the heart that comes out, even in that passage, is, tell him I'm lovesick. Yes, yes, I'm in it for you. Yes, yes, this hurts. Yes, I'm getting exposed. But that's okay. And I think that's one of the, the things the Lord's inviting us to in an extended time of fasting. It's to remember his heart and he has things in store. He wants to reveal his beauty. He really does want to do what Stuart talked about. He wants to give stability in the inward parts. And as we lean in, he will. He actually will. That beauty of the Lord, the Psalm 27, I'm doing the passage thing, that will stabilize us in, in the hour that we need to not only have it for our own hearts, but to turn and bring comfort to many. So he's actually going to do it. Tracy, you talked about the birth pangs as well. Just share what you shared earlier related to this fast, the birth pangs and What's stirring in you in that end? Yeah, I was just relating the phrase birth pangs from Matthew 24, the passage that Stuart was reading earlier. Like when you are a woman who's pregnant and you are in labor, birth pangs are awful. <laughs> like your body enters into something that is genuinely painful, but it's productive. It's because you actually like, I remember you actually, you talked to me about it when I was in that moment. You'd like, your body's doing an amazing thing right now. Like, your hips and muscles are actually like doubling in size or something. Remember what you used to say? I can't believe you remember me saying that. <laughs> I like, tell me again. Go on. Tell us what else you remember, Tracy. No, I'm really trying not to be too graphic, but I think the comfort, I, I, I kind of recognize the when I hear the word birth pangs in scripture, now I go, oh, that's a really great analogy, God. You know, like, Here's what I remember. Very intentional in that word because I, the sorry. pain produces something. I want you to remember now. I do. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say the thing that I remember, tell me if I'm onto something. I've used it as an analogy ever since. I, I thought that, this is, this is a confession, I thought that birthing classes were dumb and a waste of my time. And so I, I was you know, really young and had an attitude. But then the, uh, I'm sure it's hard for you to imagine that. Try really hard. But, uh, but then... My mind is so blown right now. 
I need to lay down or yeah. something. I don't know. I just, I don't know what's, I don't know what's happening to me right now. No, I, I know. It's, it's okay. I'll pray for you later. So, uh, so then the doctor that was leading the class said something that struck me. He said, hey, some of you might think this is a waste of your time. And I was like, oh, I felt kind of called out. He goes, but you need to know this. We do this and tell you what's going to happen because the pain can sometimes be so intense that we find the information in advance can actually help you not mix pain with fear, which leads to more intense pain. Knowing what happens doesn't take away the pain, but it does take away the fear of surprise related to the pain. That's what I remember. And so I'm trying to do, be a good Trying to do what they taught me and tell you what they said to try to help. Dave with the gives pain. me information when I'm afraid, <laughs> which is pretty. <laughs> I need information. It's been great, but I just want to say the birth pangs that are mentioned here—they're not just stress. They're not just crisis. In Jesus, they produce something, and that when we, and like Isaac's saying, entering into, we get to fast twice. You know, like we can either voluntary fast, there'll be involuntary, there will be involuntary fasts. And I feel the, the parallel with birth pangs, like God is giving us opportunity to be prepared. And even when it, it, it the, the crisis, the pressure, the things in Matthew 24, the things in the earth right now, like they press us, they, but they change us. And we are different than we were a year ago. And I don't know about you, I need to I need to know him in that. I need to know his voice. And I have a brief testimony. Just in the month of December, I'm 48 and I hit, I hit anxiety like never before. I was a little embarrassed because I'm, I think over the years, I've always kind of thought like, I love Jesus so much. I won't have anxiety, you know? And I kind of, I got so bad. I admitted it. Like I, I was a little prideful and I admitted to a few friends, like I need prayer. Like I can hardly sleep. I had that feeling of like, I'm about to go on stage and give a speech. Every day I felt like I was about to go on stage and give a speech. In the middle of the night, I felt like I was on stage. I was about to give like butterflies, stomach aches. And my mind was racing. And I had an encounter with the Lord during a set. December 17th, the Lord met me in the word and healed me and delivered me. Like a worship in the word set in the prayer room. And I, I think the most powerful thing he showed me, like I was just speaking his thoughts towards us, towards me, out of my mouth, first person and I just, when, when he was, when Stuart was speaking about anxiety, I thought, oh, if I get the microphone tonight, I just want to speak that out and just tell anyone in the room, if you're struggling with anxiety, if the thought of anxiety being an issue for you catches your attention when we're mentioning it, I just want to testify as a sister, God set me free, like in an hour. Like I left that meeting over the next few days and I would like try to make myself anxious. I would go back to thinking through the things that like the day before I would think about this, 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 and I get anxious and I get that feeling, that flush of adrenaline, the panic in my stomach. I'm like, oh, there's that. Every time I think about this, every time I think about that. And so I get this encounter in the prayer room where I'm crying and I, I hear him like internally speaking his thoughts towards me, how powerful he is, how kind he is, how supportive he is, how involved he is, how attentive he is, how willing to be helpful and carry the load and how powerful he is. And so like next day, next day, next day, I keep trying, like laying in bed at 4 a.m. You know, a week ago, I couldn't sleep. I think, I'm not anxious anymore. It's gone. So I just want to share that too. There's the birth pain thing, but just, I'm like a, I love it. I'm a testimony and I just want to give you hope that God did something beautiful through his word in the area of anxiety. And while those things will come at us and we may really love him, 
We need his word, his truths in our mouths, speaking of Jesus, talking about him to one another. And I'm just so thankful and, and, and really leaning in like, Lord, teach me. Teach me what you did to me in that day. Root me in that reality so I can live there and never go back to that anxiety thing again. So Morgan, I wanna, I wanna ask you a question, but I wanna frame it out a bit in light of what Tracy just said and others. Again, just I think that it's time to stare at the future without fear, but with resolve. And I think that, like, like, and I know the Lord's been doing this with you, which is why I want to call on you next. You've been, you've been in Corey Ten Boom, and the Holy Spirit's been stirring you related to prison camps and, and intense, you know, intense persecution. And, and I think that it's time, by the grace of God, to stare at a potential future with resolve, not fear, and with confidence in the Lord's ability to prepare our responses for that day. I think sometimes we just decide not to think about the future except in abstract ways so we don't actually have to deal with it. And I think, I think you're a template of somebody in our midst that the Lord is stirring to set your face towards something um, without fear to be ready at the heart level for it. That's just, I, you've never said that to me actually. That's just as I've been praying for you, that's just what I get. And so am I, am I right? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that I don't have fear, but I am setting my heart. Um, I think just a couple of things, there's been some stuff like just phrases and choruses that are coming to my mind um, as we're talking. And one is from a couple years ago during the convergence. And it's this phrase that I sang. It was, I'm not afraid to get my hopes up because you're the one that's able to keep us. And then it's love never fails. And that, that phrase, I have just, that phrase has been going on and on in my mind when I think about this. And then the other one is, um, I love the revelation of Jesus. And I've been singing that phrase lately, how we love the revelation of Jesus, how we love the revelation of Jesus. And, um, and then he can't be improved upon. So all of those choruses right now are going through my mind as, as we're talking. And when I lean into, like what Stuart's saying, when we lean into the knowledge of God and staring at Jesus, really like the book of Revelation and the events of Revelation are about the unveiling or the revealing of Jesus, of the man Jesus. And so when I lean into it into in that way, then it gives me confidence. And Isaac and I have been talking, he said, you know, something this week, like, really, this life is all about um, the cross. This life, the age of faith, is walking with faith and not by sight and embracing voluntary weakness. That is what this life is about. This is the age where we get to embrace the voluntary weakness. And that's what fasting is. And I was just, you know, looking at some other phrases like the cup of cold water, the way into not being afraid down the road is today is the cup of cold water. And, you know, first Peter, I think it's first Peter, he says, you know, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, you know, 
love one another and be hospitable toward one another. It's these really practical ways, like Corey Tim Boom, you know, she had this life of opening up her home to um, orphans and to street kids and to um, um, children with special needs. She served, her whole life was loving the poor. And having prayer meetings for Jewish people, like in their home, a hundred years before they are taken to prison, her grandfather or grandfather started a prayer meeting to pray for the Jewish people. And so I just, I think the way to not be afraid in the days to come is the revelation of Jesus. And then the cup of cold water, it's both and. Yeah, again, the thing that strikes me, the Corey Ten Boom story is more than loving the Jews. What struck us as we were talking about it, Betsy ends up converting her sister into loving the Nazis and converts her sister in the prison camp to lay hold of a vision to start a, you know, an outreach after the war to Nazi soldiers that you know, give their lives to Jesus to, to disciple them and care for them. I mean, it's just so unbelievable where the grace of God takes them in terms of loving their enemies. We're so far from that. Stuart, I, I want to give you the last word. The, uh, the thing that's on my mind in light of this conversation, you had said something preparing for what you shared earlier. You said, you know, Matthew 24 the, the context that Jesus sets leads right into John 14 as our way forward. That, and what struck me is you were telling me that earlier and what you shared tonight. What struck me was that if we can get through the grace to fast, and, and I mean more extravagantly and more disrupted than we would choose in our own rational thought. Like we kind of, I think we talk ourselves down. Like, well, it's a 40-day fast. I'll do, you know, I'll fast sugar and cursing. It's like, you don't curse. Yeah, I know. I'm going to go radical. Like, no, let's, let's like, let's really, let's really get in a dialogue with the Holy Spirit about how far we have grace to go. Why? Because the available grace isn't to be amazing and spiritual. The available grace is to be fascinated with the Father, His love, intimacy with Him, the beauty of God. Grace for fascination. I'm thinking if we get that grace for fascination now, then the trouble in the future feels like an opportunity, not a burden, as it relates to laying hold of the object of our fascination. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, you know, Tracy talked, talked about anxiety. When there's fear in our hearts, we get self-absorbed and we get disconnected from the things that are around us. When our hearts are liberated in grace, then we begin to see the gospel opportunities. And that's part of what this is about. It's about Christ being formed in us. In other words, our character, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But that, it, that in the days to come, when the crisis hits, we are so settled on the inside that we can see gospel opportunities. I just so love what Morgan said. Fascinated with Jesus and a cup of cold water. I mean, that really sums it up so well. It's loving Jesus and loving our neighbor. And when we, and so the fasting now, in fact, you know, earlier when I was speaking, I kept thinking about that verse in, in Habakkuk where he says, I will let myself be disrupted now so that I might find rest in a day of trouble. It's Habakkuk 3.16. I want, I want to be disrupted now 
so that I might find rest in the day of trouble. And I think that's where this thing is going for us. Well, here's what I'd like to do. What I'd like to do, I want to invite you to stand. And Aaron, if you're nearby, if you can come up. Worship team, just pause for a moment. Just pause for a moment. Where's Aaron Valdivia is? Oh, there you are. Okay, cool. Thank you, my friend. I want to take a few minutes. I want to, I want to engage the Holy Spirit and one another in conversation. I want to do something a little unusual. I want to, we've got for our students and our interns built in small groups and small group leaders already. But for the rest that are here online, those of you that are engaging, I want to invite you all to do something. I want to invite you for ministry time, rather than coming up and getting prayer, I want to invite you to form small groups. I want you to form groups and do a couple things. I want you to, to begin to pray for one another for grace for the fast, to pray for one another for insight into how to fast. What would the Lord invite us into? And then share with one another a bit to invite more prayer, actually. As you're, as you're praying and dialoguing, to share with one another. Say, you know, I think the Lord's inviting me to do a 40-day, you know, juice or 40-day Daniel fast or 40-day water fast. Like, I, I actually, somebody's going to say those words and they're going to go, oh, I don't want to. But saying it amongst a, a small group that's praying for you gives you courage to try by the grace of God. And then online, just those of you that are watching, just if you've got others that you can gather around and have pray for you or shoot a text to somebody and go, hey, we're, they're praying in Kansas City for grace to fast. Will you pray for me? Just beginning to engage others in your story. The glory of an extended fast like this is that we're not trying to do it alone. We're not pulling it off you know, just kind of in a corner, but we're with one another together, going somewhere together. It's the strength of it. And so I want to take a few minutes. Just go ahead right now. Just for those of you that have groups, gather into them. For those of you who don't, just gather with people around you. Just grab some people that are close to you if you want, or if you got a friend across the way, go grab them. But let's take about the last... 13 minutes or so, and then we'll end with some worship. Let's pray and, and uh, serve one another. Lord, give us grace for this. Release grace over this people. Minister to us in Jesus' name.